everyone else who's going to be with me this morning, you can turn with me to John chapter 15. So grab your Bible or your phone or your device and meet me in John chapter 15. It's good to be back. I was away last week. Um, I was going to have a nice quiet week, uh, just off and starting off the year right, and I was looking forward to a week. Just, you know, the kids are going to be in school. My wife was starting her new job, and and so we wanted some time to help us adjust to the new job, so I'll take the week off. I'm just going to spend the mornings with my Bible. I'm going to sleep in. It's going to be great. And then Doug Ford had an announcement to make that same Monday. So none of that stuff happened. And so I had talked to you a couple weeks ago as we laid out kind of our big picture plan for the year, one of the ways in which we're being tested right now is what is our attitude, right, as we are going through these things. And so I thought it was funny that I said, well, are we going to be people who grumble and complain our way through whatever it is we go through, or are we going to be people of faith and people of hope and people who look for God's goodness in the midst of everything? And I was thinking of every single parent in the room the next day, the day after I said that, when this announcement came, the kids aren't going back to school, right? away. And uh, how did you do with the grumbling in that particular moment, parents? I didn't do great right away. And yet at the same time went, you know what? I will never have this time with my children again, right? They are rapidly growing up and and choosing to say, you know what? I I wish they were in school. I am very glad that they are heading back. Uh, But if there are things happening that are beyond my control, I'm going to seek to find the goodness of God in the midst of all of it. And I will see the goodness of God in the fact that I got to spend time with my kids that I wouldn't normally have gotten to spend. Uh, And so we are are watching our attitude this year as we go through this stuff. I want to thank Susan and George and Maria for sharing last week while I was gone and sharing their story. Yeah, you can, you can applaud for that. Um, yeah. It's uh, always awkward. Just, are we going? Are we not going? I don't know. Um, and so we, I had wanted them to share, and, and they have been on their journey, uh, just this journey of, of some inner healing that's been happening and, and binding up of broken hearts that Jesus has been doing and finding some freedom uh, in the midst of all of it. And so I wanted you to hear some of their story. And I'm just blown away at just the level of transparency and and openness, their willingness to open up that part of their lives and share. And we have recognized in the last couple of years at Meadowbrook, I'll actually talk a little bit about this on Wednesday night on our vision sharing night, uh, that we want to be a place where that's happening. We want to be a place where Jesus is binding up the brokenhearted. We want to be a place where we are continuing to grow in our freedom and, and Jesus is doing these things. And we all have hurts and we all have baggage and we all have stuff that we're dealing with and we've just recognized, oh, we need some avenues. We need some ways to help people deal with this stuff because we go through hard stuff in life and we lose loved ones and we go through divorce and we go through hard times and and these things hurt and we want to figure out okay well how can we uh, connect with Jesus where Jesus can can bring healing to these things and he can redeem and he can restore and so we are are looking at uh, how that can just become something that we're doing more and more moving forward and so uh, they talked a bit about a book called Soul Care last week and Soul Care was recommended to us by our conference. Uh, so Multiply, our, our mission-sending organization in our conference, uh, actually uses Soul Care. That's the tool that they use. And so all new missionaries and church planners go through Soul 
care. And so uh, Phil and Robin Serez have recommended this, and so it's a tool that we've been exploring. And so a small group in the church are going through it right now. Some of you came after last week and said, I'm in, I want to do it, and just say, we're not quite there yet. Uh, we're still exploring and figuring out exactly how it's all going to work, and so I appreciate the, the heart and the desire. We'll ask you just for a little bit of grace and patience as we continue to just figure out the wisest way to move forward with it. And a couple of you had questions just about some terms that were used and stuff. And again, just give us some grace. Give us some time. Um, we are very, very excited to, to find ways in which we can help people find healing and freedom in Jesus. That's the heartbeat of everything that we're doing. Soul Care is a tool. It's a wonderful tool uh, that we are exploring and testing out. And we will have more information just as we continue to figure out what's the wisest way to roll this out and how is that all going to look. Um, but I listened to the message last week, and I, I'm just so glad uh, for George and for Susan and for Maria, uh, their willingness to say, hey, this is something that Jesus is doing in my life. This is some change that is happening. Uh, this is some freedom that is happening. This is some healing that is happening, which I thought was awesome. So stay tuned. More information to come on all of that stuff as we continue to navigate that. We, uh, two weeks ago, took some time to lay out our theme for the year. We called it A Year of Pursuing Peace 2022. A year of pursuing peace and wanting to just make that a, a bit of an emphasis for us as we walk through this year together. As with all new years, we don't know what the year is going to hold. But if there is peace out there available, man, do I want it. In Judges chapter 6, Gideon, it's the story of Gideon. It says, Gideon builds an altar and he names it, the Lord is peace. Jehovah Shalom one of the many names of God, Jehovah Shalom, the Hebrew word for peace, Shalom. When Jewish people greet one another, that is how they greet one another. They don't say hello, they say Shalom. It is the, the I bless you with peace. And that word peace isn't just like a nice fuzzy feeling. Uh, it is a, a deep and abiding blessing of God where you are at rest and in trust and, and in connection and communion with him. And so to say shalom to someone is not just like, hey, I hope you feel all right. It's no, it's I am praying the fullness of the blessing of God upon you, that your soul would be in a deep and abiding peace. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. When Jesus was leaving and having his last meal with his disciples, he said to them, my peace, I leave with you. Right, as part of the blessing of the cross and the resurrection, and as the Spirit comes, is that we would have his peace given to us. And so I know that, I trust that, I believe it, I've experienced it, and yet I also know from my life and from the life of, I'm sure, all of us, is that we don't walk in that peace all the time. We don't get to hold on to it all the time for whatever reason. And so we wanted to spend some time this year just focusing, how do we get that more? How do we find that deep and abiding peace with God? How do we get to, to find that place of true rest where, where no matter what, uh, we can walk in that? And when Paul says in Philippians 4 that the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts and will guard your minds in Christ Jesus, just as a reminder, he's saying that while in chains, waiting for his head to be chopped off. And yet he knows this deep and abiding shalom peace. He is walking in it. He is experiencing it. He is blessing God's people with it. And so uh, the question a couple of weeks ago was like, oh, are you weary? Are you tired? Are you frustrated? Are you angry? Are you overwhelmed? Uh, are you anxious? Are you fearful? Whatever the case may be, there is peace available and I want it. 
And I want it for you as well. I want it for all of us. And so we are going to kick off a series that we'll be in for the next number of weeks to kick off the year that we're calling Connection Points. Because if the Lord is peace, as the scripture says, the Lord is peace, Jehovah Shalom, he is the source of all peace, he is the source of the best kind of peace, then it stands to reason that we need to go to him in order to receive that peace. And so our first series of the year is called Connection Points, and we're just going to talk fairly practically just about how do we connect with the Lord, how do we find ourselves in that place of communion with him, because if he is the source of all peace we got to plug into it somehow. And so today's going to be a bit of an overview. We're going to get more specific uh, as time goes on. But we're going to talk about just the, the various ways in our lives that we can connect with God, the source of all peace. As we go through the year, uh, here were the five questions I brought up a couple weeks ago. As we navigate 2022, as we're seeking peace, what is our attitude going to be? Are we going to complain and grumble our way through things? Or are we going to find faith and hope and love and the goodness of God no matter what we're going through? How are we treating other people in the midst of all all of us. The greatest commandment is to love God and to love others, and they are two sides of the same coin. So how are we treating other people, especially at times when we're in disagreement or we don't like something somebody has said or we're finding ourselves in division? How are we treating other people in the midst of that? How are we drawing near to the Lord? That's going to be the main focus of our first series of the year. What are we contributing to the world? What are we sowing out there with our words and with our actions? What are we contributing as Christ followers, as representatives? representatives of Jesus, what is it that we are sending out there that is pointing to Jesus? And then who are we imitating? Because if we're just imitating the loudest voices of this world, the angriest voices of this world, if we're imitating the politicians, if we're imitating the media, if we're imitating things that are not godly, uh, then that needs to adjust. And we need to be looking around our lives and saying, who around me uh, can I stand to be more like when I see Jesus at work in them? And how can I imitate that in our lives? So we'll be in John chapter 15 today, and we'll jump into our text. Just a reminder, we do have an email address, questions at meadowbrook.ca. If any questions come up from the sermon, please feel free to send that there, and we'd be very happy to answer those. Let's get to our text today, John chapter 15. We're going to start in verse 5 as we kick off our series, Connection Points. Jesus is speaking. He says in verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So there's much more in this whole series, and this is Jesus' kind of final message to his disciples before he heads to the cross. It's his last major teaching time that we see in the Gospels. And so a lot of the stuff that he is saying, he is saying uh, knowing that he is leaving soon. And so he is getting them ready, and he is trying to show them uh, this is what it's going to be like, and here's what's coming, and, and here's how you are to conduct yourself and all of these things. And in the midst of it, we have this great I am statement, and John's gospel has a bunch of them. There are these great I am 
statements that Jesus makes. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the vine and you are the branches. Uh, All these statements just showing us another picture of who Jesus is. Uh, Earlier in the gospel, Jesus at one point just says, I am, period, when there's a debate about who this Jesus is. And so Jesus says to the, the ones who are criticizing him, before Abraham was born, I am. And he uses the name that God used with Moses at the burning bush when Moses says, who are you? Uh, And God says, I am who I am, or I am that I am simply I am as God. I am the eternal one. I am. I have always been. I I am the one. And so Jesus would claim that for himself as well, which didn't make the religious people super happy because he seemed to be claiming to be God. And we would say, well, that is exactly right. That is exactly what he was doing for a good reason, but it was very challenging at the time. So here we have this I am statement, uh, all of them really just being a, a beautiful picture of who Jesus is. If you ever want to do an interesting study, do a study on the I am statements in John's gospel because all of them show us something about who Jesus is, just some new perspective, a different view on things, just a fresh take on things. And so they are all beautiful. And what's beautiful about this one is it's this wonderful picture of communion, right? I am the vine, you're the branches. You are connected to the vine. You get your life from the vine. You get everything you need from the vine. You can't get that separate from the vine. You have to remain connected to the vine. And so uh, it's a picture of salvation for sure. And, and, and the main picture is that we want to be in Christ. We want to remain in him. It's not good to not remain in Christ. And so we remain in him. And when we talk about connecting with God and communion with God, and, and as we talk through this series, uh, we're going to talk about just very practical things like how does the Bible fit in and what does Bible uh, learning look like and Bible study look like? What does prayer look like? What are the different ways that we can experience God's presence? We're going to talk about all of those things. And those things sometimes get called spiritual disciplines, uh, which I use because it's what we use. It's not my favorite name for them because it kind of makes it sound like work, like it's just something you have to work at. Uh, and yet there is some work involved, so I, I understand. It's kind of like going to the gym. It's like, well, there is work involved, but it's for, for health, right? It's, it's a good thing. Um, and so, you know, spiritual discipline, spiritual exercises, devotionals, uh, things like that, we kind of have these terms that we use. And sometimes when we use them, uh, people go, another lecture on devotions. Like, it's, it's, there's connotations to these words. And, and all I really want to talk about in terms of those types of things is, is this, is, is remaining, connecting to the vine. And I'm not saying you disconnect if you skip your devotions or whatever, but it's about making sure that bond is strong. Every Friday night in our house is date night at uh, the Walker home. And so um, the kids get something super nutritious like craft dinner or a pizza, frozen pizza. They get sent off to their bedrooms. They have iPads and they're watching a movie or playing games or whatever else. And Sarah and I will sit at the table, just the two of us, and we'll do a nicer meal usually, a meal that's taken some effort, not, not just kind of thrown together. And so we, we take that time and, and there's time to make the meal and there's time to sit together. And, and we got to have steaks this last Friday, which was great because steak was on sale because when steak's not on sale it's like your whole paycheck but it was super on sale 
sale at the superstore a couple of weeks ago, so I bought like 10 of them because it's never that cheap. And so we, were, we had steak and, and just a nice meal. And, and we've done that for years. And it's not like, you know, we're married because of date night. And it's not that date night is the full expression of our marriage, but date night is just one of the places where we just ensure that the connection is strong. Right? Everything else gets put away. Phones are put away. The kids even are put away. Uh, in most of life, the kids dominate everything. But in this moment, no, the kids are on their own. And they know that they're, unless it's an emergency, they hang out in their room. They're not to come out. And we just have some quiet time together and, and just the two of us. And so, again, that doesn't make us more or less married, but just things like that help make sure the connection is strong. So when we talk about spiritual disciplines, when we talk about uh, prayer and devotions and scripture and all those types of things, we are talking about just what are the ways that we can make sure our connection to him is strong, that we are really rooted to that vine. Because if that vine is the source of the peace we're all looking for, then it stands to reason we got to stay connected to that vine if we're going to stay connected to that peace. If we're going to receive that shalom, we need to go to the source and stay connected there. So I'm going to challenge you with this this year. And again, I don't love words like devotions and, and Jesus time and things like that because uh, everybody's different. Everybody approaches it differently. One of the things I want to talk about as we go through this first series is that uh, you can't always connect with Jesus the way other people do, right? You're, you're, you are wired unique. You have your own relationship with God. You have your own personality. For many years, I carried that weight. We always use the picture of uh, when David went to fight Goliath and Saul put his armor on David and David said, I can't fight this way. This isn't me. Like, I'm a slingshot guy. Uh, I need to do this like me. And, and the understanding that that principle applies to how we connect with God, how we pray, how we read our Bible. What works for me might not work for you. And I'm not telling you you need to do it the way I do it. Uh, I am telling you you need to find a way to do it that is life-giving, that is helping you connect personally with Jesus in this time. And so I, we are asleep. I don't know how well you sleep. I sleep terribly most of the time. Uh, theoretically, we're asleep for eight hours a day. Theoretically, someone laughed at that. I also would laugh at that statement. Theoretically, you're asleep for eight hours a day. Theoretically, you're working for around eight hours a day. And maybe for you, it's 10 or, or longer, depending on what your job is. And when I say work for eight hours a day, I'm meaning to those of you who are stay-at-home parents or homeschooling parents, like you have kind of your day job, your responsibilities. And then there's this other eight hours, roughly, right? A third sleeping, a third working, and then a third that is, that is the, the rest of the time. And of course, during the rest of the time, we are also doing chores and we're taking care of the kids and we're making dinner and all that kind of stuff. Um, the Lord knows we need to sleep. The Lord knows we need to work, and both of those things are blessed in Scripture. But it's with that other time that we are, are quite responsible for, right? Because I have to go to my job, and I have to sleep. But then there's hours a day where I decide what needs to happen there. That's, it's not free time necessarily, because we do our chores and stuff in there as well. But that is time uh, that I have a lot of freedom over in terms of what goes where, when. That's the time where we need to find some time in order to connect with him, however that looks like for you. There is time in there that needs to be time where we are connecting to the vine, where we are, are, are refreshing ourselves, we are engaging with the word, we are, are doing that however we're going to do that. And so here's my challenge for this year. 
Uh, of those eight hours of quote-unquote free time, which we can fill with social media or TV or hobbies or, or kids or whatever else, not, not bad stuff necessarily, but of those eight hours, I'm going to challenge us to give 48 hours a day to the Lord. And the reason I picked 40, 48 minutes, sorry, not hours. <laughs> we'll work up to 48 hours along the way. 48 minutes. And the reason I landed on 48 minutes was because that's a tithe. That's a tenth. That's a tenth of eight hours. And so when I was a little kid, my dad gave me my first allowance, and he said, he's a financial planner, so he started me super young, uh, said, I, I want you to learn how to save, I want you to learn how to tithe, I want you to learn how to manage your money. And so uh, it was like 1987, it was $2, I remember my allowance very well, we used to have $2 bills, remember they were brown, they had robins on them, and that was my weekly allowance, and I was taught right away, right away, that of that, 20 cents goes to the Lord as your worship. 20 cents goes in the piggy bank. That's your savings. The rest you can do what you want with. You can spend it, you can save it, or do whatever. And so that was taught very young. And so I've always tithed. Tithing has always been a part of my life. That 10% of our income goes to the Lord as our worship. We give that to him as our worship. On a practical level, it helps support the ministry of the church. Uh, ultimately, it is our worship. And so we've always done that. That 10, first 10% goes to the Lord. And so I'm going to challenge us this year of that eight-hour block of time where we're not working our day jobs and when we're not sleeping, uh, to tithe that time to the Lord. Now, some of you are looking at that 48 minutes and going, oh, I do way more than that. Okay, that's great. That's wonderful. Some of you are looking at that 48 minutes and, I'm, and are going, oh, I give approximately zero minutes right now. And that's okay, because this is what we are working towards. And so uh, don't feel like if, if your number's way lower than that, that you need to jump straight to 48 minutes. But I would like us working towards this. I would like us working towards, just as a general principle, that we are tithing our time to connect with the Lord. Not out of religious duty, not just because I'm asking you to, but because he is the source of all peace. And we need to connect and commune with him. And so if you're at like maybe five minutes a day or 10 minutes a day, don't feel like you need to leap right to it. Like sometimes, you know, every like New Year's, you make your resolutions of I'm going to, you know, run 5K every single day or whatever the case may be. And then you go out for your first 5K run and you're like, I'm going to run 5K. And after 300 meters, you're like, okay, wow, I'm going to walk 5K. And then maybe I'll walk 1K. And so we can overwhelm ourselves if we jump into too much at a time. But I just, I don't think that's an unreasonable thing to shoot for. And I, again, I don't want it to be like a, a duty or a burden. Uh, I wanted it to be just as a principle that, that the Lord is worthy of some of our time every day. But also we need him, right? We need his word. We need his spirit. We need his refreshing. And so I think this is a reasonable target to shoot for. And that 48 minutes could be filled with lots of different things, and we'll get to those in the weeks to come. But I'm just going to throw that out there and just ask you the question, where does your time go on any given day? Where does the Lord fit in to your time? Again, understanding that when you're at work, you can't just stop and open your Bible necessarily. And when you're sleeping, you're not doing anything else but sleep. But with your time that you do have control of, where 
where is that time going? Where does the Lord fit into that for you? And, and is that something perhaps to be revisited? And so we don't want it to become, uh, again, just another duty. Um, you know, Rich Villatis says that when it comes to the spiritual disciplines, he said, don't misunderstand it or in any way think that as we engage in these things that God is loving us more or, or more pleased with us because we're doing them. He said, it's, it, the ship has sailed on that. He loves you already. He loves you right where you're at. He could not love you anymore. But what these things are good for is helping us to cultivate that relationship of love, where it's not just a duty. I'm not just doing things for the Lord, but I'm actually in relationship with him. So let's look at our text today. We're going to walk through it, starting in verse 5. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So I could preach the whole sermon just on that, just on that one verse right there. And again, this beautiful picture of, of communion. The grapes can't live if they're not connected to the vine. The, the grapes can't thrive if they're not connected to the vine. The minute the grapes get cut off from the vine, they are starting to die from that point on. Uh, and they will very quickly begin to wither. And so uh, the vine is life. The vine is the source of life. This is ultimately a picture of salvation, that uh, if you want to live forever, there's only one way to it, we believe. That is as part of our faith. There is only one way to live forever, and that is through Jesus the vine. If you want eternal life, you must remain in the guy who is the source of eternal life. You, you have to remain connected to him. And our, our prayers, our scripture, and everything help us remain in that place. They help strengthen that bond there. Jesus is the source of all life. If we want to have his life, then we need to remain connected to the source of all life. And, and as we pray, as we worship, as we gather for church, as we uh, are silent in his presence, and, and all the different ways that we will talk about in the weeks to come, we are, are just strengthening that bond. We are remaining in his his life. And he says, you'll bear a lot of fruit as you do that. And Galatians talks about uh, the fruit of the Spirit. And I don't think these are necessarily all the good things, all the good fruits that can come. But this is the list that's given in Galatians 5, that the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Now, I've been at seminars where the fruit of the Spirit gets talked about. I have taken assessments on where are the fruit of the Spirit at in your life. And so there's things you can do. Answer these 300 questions, and it'll tell you, oh, you're a 10 on the patience, and you're a 2 on the joy, and you're a 3 on the self-control or whatever. And the push of it is always, well, what are you going to do to do better at those things? That's always the response. And, and I do think, yeah, I mean, if you have a, a patience problem, then there are things in the natural we can do. And, and so you go, okay, the word says, uh, you know, be, be quick to listen, be slow to speak, be slow to become angry. So if I'm working on my patience and I'm always getting annoyed with people quickly, I'm going to work on that in accordance with the word of the Lord. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen more, right? So there are things we can do to help but ultimately, the fruit of the Spirit is something that happens when you are connected to the source. It is something that happens naturally. The grapes grow on the vine naturally. If I was a grape farmer, which I'm certainly not, I can't make the grapes live. That's an act of God. God is the one who makes life happen. God is the one who makes fruit happen. We get this fruit by remaining and connecting to the vine. 
As we are connected to him, this fruit will come. And so as we look at this list, yeah, I look at some of them and go, there are certain ones that, that I do see more in my life than other ones. There are other ones that aren't there as much as, as ones that are, are maybe more developed. But the solution isn't by my own efforts, I'm going to work harder and generate this fruit. That is not what we are doing. We are saying, my job here ultimately is to, how do I better and in a deeper way commune with the vine? How do I, in a deeper way, get filled with the Holy Spirit that this fruit will come forward in my life? We can't make the fruit happen. Now, what we can do is that if I were a great farmer, there are things I can do to cultivate an atmosphere where the grapes can thrive. There are certain things that I can do, right? And, and in any kind of garden, most of us wouldn't have grapes, but you have a garden in your house. And so you go, I know my job is to pull out the weeds and I know my job is to make sure the soil's okay. My job is to plant the seeds. And so there are certain things we do to help it. We understand that ultimately these things are only going to live if God makes them live, right? And, and he supplies the sun and he supplies the rain and he supplies ultimately the life that makes it happen, we can cultivate and, and do some things to help. And so when we're talking about our, our communion with God, our spiritual disciplines, our spiritual exercises, our devotions, or whatever word you want to use, what we are talking about is not, I am doing things to make this fruit happen. We are talking about, I am cultivating a garden. I am cultivating patterns and habits in my life that allow me to connect with the vine that the fruit of the Spirit may come, that he is the one making it come as I connect with him. When I don't see these things in my life, when I, and especially if I see myself walking in the opposite qualities, if I'm walking in impatience, if I've lost my kindness, if I'm being aggressive and abrasive and not gentle, then I just, that's a good kind of warning sign that I am losing some connection to the head, right? It's not that, uh, you know, anybody has them perfectly, and it's not that we don't all uh, struggle with the flesh as well as we wrestle through these things, but if I am, I am seeing the opposite qualities show up, then again, that should just tell me, okay, why am I not seeing the fruit of the Spirit? Where do I need to reconnect with the vine again? Where do I need to, to make that a priority that the good fruit of the Spirit will show up in my life? Nobody has these all perfectly flourishing in their life, I don't think. And even if you do have some qualities, it doesn't mean you walk in that quality all the time, every day. It's an ongoing thing. But we should be growing in these things over time. We should be saying, you know what, compared to five years ago as I've walked with Jesus, I have seen my patience increase. It's not perfect, but I have seen growth there. I have seen growth in my love for God and for other people. I've seen growth in my gentleness. I'm learning how to soften, and, and God is developing that in me. Um, no one has them all, again, but we should be seeing fruit growing if we are connected to the vine. And if we are seeing uh, the opposite or we're missing things, then the question is not how do I work hard? to generate these things, the question is, how do I deeper connect to the vine that the life of God can bring this fruit? The Holy Spirit will bring these things in my life. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Um, man, shouldn't that be something we say to ourselves 87 times a day? <laughs> apart from me, you can do nothing. Like, apart from me, you can't generate this fruit. 
Apart from me, you can't live forever. Apart from me, you don't have eternity. Apart from me, you can't come back to God. Apart from me, you can't have your sins washed away. Apart from me, you can't really do anything. The psalmist said, if the, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Like, unless God is with you, unless his favor is with you, you can't accomplish anything. How much time in my life have I spent trying to kick open doors that God has just shut, and I'm exhausting myself, and I'm using all my tools and all the things that I know how to do to try and make something happen. And meanwhile, in heaven, God has just said, no, and it's just not happening. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so our main job in this life is not to say, well, what do I want to do? And God, I'm going to pray that you bless what I want to do. The main thing we do in this life is say, God, what do you want to do? And how do I get on board with that? How do I get on your page? How do I submit my will to your will? If Jesus is Lord, that means he's boss. That means he calls all the shots. You are not your own if you follow Jesus. You belong to him. And if he is Lord, then he is the one that gets to direct. And so our life becomes less about, well, here's what I want to do, and I'm going to do it, and I'm going to make all my efforts towards it, and then I will ask God afterwards if he will bless it. It becomes, no, Lord, I'm going to seek you first and seek your kingdom first and seek your righteousness first. I will trust that everything else will be granted to me, as Jesus said. But I'm going to look to you and say, what do you want me to do? And as I do that, I know you're going to be with me as I do it. When we talk about uh, all of these things, getting in the word, and, and I, I'm trying to be so careful today because I, I don't want it to feel like a guilt trip, and I don't want it to feel like a heavy thing, and I know it often does because you know, we, our devotions aren't always consistent, and, and maybe we're not uh, in that connection place with God the way we would like to be, and we know we should be, but it's just not happening, and life is busy, and I, I don't want it to feel like a guilt trip, because I, the worst thing that can happen when it comes to our, our connection time, our devotion time with God, is for it to become a chore. Like, that's the worst thing that can happen. And it's so easy for it to happen. And it sounds weird because how could it? But it, it just does. And if it becomes a chore, if it becomes just a religious duty, then there's just every chance it's going to fail. Like, the, the, whatever program we want to use or whatever structure we want to use, if we're doing it solely out of duty, then it's just, it, there's not enough juice in that to keep it going. Our, our energy will always run out. We, our strength will always fall short. But if we are doing it because we are saying, oh, I, I want to know him better. I want to love him better. I, I, I love him. I want to love him more. I, I know him. I want to know him more. I, I, I need that sense of his presence in my life. I need that sense of knowing. Uh, I, I want to learn how to hear his voice. I want to learn how to follow his leading. If it's motivated by that love, by that desire, then there is strength and sustainability to it. If it's just purely, Chris said 48 minutes, so here we go. Let's do our 48 minutes. It's not going to thrive. Like, and that's not the motivation I want you to have. I want you to love him more. I want you to want more of him. I want you to, like, I, I'm having moments in the word these days, uh, and I keep saying to Sarah, like, I've read that scripture 800 times and it never meant a thing, but it just, it hit me something about it today. I don't even know what it means, but I want to know what it means and I want to dig into it and I want to understand it better, like to, to just understand that there is so much more of God than what we have experienced. There is so much more in his word than we have understood. There is so much more of the Holy Spirit that is beyond what we have tasted so far. And so the invitation of scripture is taste and see that the Lord is good. 
is come on out. Come on and draw near to him. And as you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. And there is a bit of a connection between the sort of physical exercise and the spiritual exercise stuff in that I find sometimes when people are jumping into this, it can feel a little bit like trying to go for a run and you haven't run in a while. And it can feel kind of clunky and it can feel like work maybe a little bit. But then you do it again and then you do it again and then you do it again. And I, you know, I I go for a walk every morning. When I first started, it was hard. And now it's like, if I miss a day, man, do I miss it. I actually miss the walk. I miss the the air and the exercise and and being outside. And I, I feel that the spiritual disciplines, there can be a similar connection, that it takes a bit to get into it. It takes a bit to find the groove. And then as it does, you're like, oh, I actually am meeting with the Lord here. And that's what we want to be doing, not going through a devotional exercise. We want to be encountering the Lord. We want to be meeting him uh, through whatever it is that we're doing. Jesus says in verse 6, If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Uh, So I'm not going to go into that verse too much today. Um, Great debate in Christianity of whether you can, quote, lose your salvation or not, or or walk away from your salvation, or whatever language wants to be used there. Um, For those who believe that you can, you know, lose it, or or whatever you want to use, this would be a verse that they would point to for that reason. Um, This is is hellfire-type language. If you don't remain in Jesus, if you don't remain connected to the source of life, then there is no eternal life for you. There, it's just not available. You've disconnected yourself from the source of all life. And that triggers a whole debate about sovereignty and predestination and all that stuff. And guess what? We're not going there today at all. So if you have questions about that, you can ask Wes. He's a board member and he's super smart and he can handle all your inquiries on that one. Um, we're not going into that today. Uh, other than to say this, again, as we talk about uh, the disciplines, the devotions, the, the, the exercises, whatever we want to say, we are doing that partly to ensure that this doesn't happen, to ensure that the bond is strong, and to ensure that we are connected to him. Uh, no one ever plans to backslide, right? It, it never, no one ever wakes up and thinks that's coming. It starts with, I'm going to take a break from my Bible for a while, or I'm going to take a break from church for a while, or I'm going to take a break from prayer for a while, and then over time, that while becomes longer and longer. Uh, so we are wanting to, to push back against that and, and remaining in Christ, doing our part to make sure that that bond is strong. Jesus says in verse 7, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So this is one of those verses. I come from a Pentecostal background. And uh, in some branches of Pentecost, not so much the one I lived in, but um, there is a bit of that kind of word faith thing of that kind of name it and claim it and, you know, you declare it and God will do it and God's going to honor your words and all those things. There are grains of truth in that. But what it very easily became, and we saw this big surge of this in the 80s and 90s as the word faith movement kind of hit its peak, uh, the error of it is that it became... Almost like, okay, well, you're the God in the relationship. Whatever you say, God has to do because you said it. And if you have a scripture for it, God has to do it because it's his word and he has promised. And and so it became, and not so much like uh, I'm going to, you know, be reading God's word and praying God's word, which I think is good and important uh, for the sake of him and his glory and his kingdom. It very much became about me. 
What do I want? What do I need? What do I want to see happen? And it wasn't even like I'm going to seek the Lord for what he might want. It was just this is what I want. And so this would be a verse that, that the word faithers would lean on. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And I have met so many battered and wounded people over the years who said, well, the preacher told me that and I prayed for my loved one and they died of cancer anyway. So what's wrong with Jesus' word? Why doesn't Jesus' word work, right? Why, why did that word not get fulfilled? And so I do think there's some danger, actually, if we don't, don't apply this right. And to be clear, I believe very much in praying God's word and very much in declaring God's word. But uh, with that, we forget the first part. Remain in me and let my words remain in you. And so it's not God's going to do whatever you want him to do. It's as you are deeply connected to him and as you are filled more and more with the scripture, when those things are happening, ask what you want and it will be done for you. The thing is, when you're deeply communing with God and filled to overflowing with the scripture, you're not praying selfishly at that point. You're not praying out of his will at that point. You're praying with humility and you're praying seeking him. And it's understanding, well, even if I pray for a loved one and if it doesn't happen the way I wanted it to, I know that he is God and he has the right to do whatever he wants. I know that because his word says that about him. And so you don't freak out if a prayer doesn't go the way that you thought it was going to go because it was never about you and the way that you prayed. That was never going to be a factor in how the thing played out. And so it's not just, I mean, the, some of the, some, I'm going to say some, some of that word faith type stuff loved the second part of the verse, right? Ask for whatever you want and it'll be done for you. Well, I would like a raise, and I would like a new car, and I would like a bigger house, and I would like more fame, and I would like all these kind of selfish things. But it's like, no, remain in him, connect with him, commune with him, and let his scripture, let his words remain in you. Because if I am continually filled with the Spirit, and if I am continually digging into the Word, and understanding more of who He is, and understanding how He works, understanding how small I actually am, and how great He is, understanding very clearly it's going to be His will that's done, and not my will that's done, that's going to change the way I pray. And so it's ask for whatever you wish out of your communion with him out of your, your filling yourself with his word and it will be done for you. Not that you're getting whatever you want. It's that when you ask according to his will, which you will find more and more as you commune with him and fill yourself with his word, then that will be fulfilled because God's not ever going to do anything that's not his will just because you want it. That's not what that means. And so there's a, an incredible humility required in our prayer life always. But as we remain in him, as, our, as his word remains in us, we will pray differently. We will find his will and pray into that. And that will be done for us along the way. And so that then becomes important. Our time with him, our, our time in the word. Uh, again, we'll talk about that in the weeks to come. But, but just that question again, with the time you have, on any given day. Where does it go? And I have done this exercise in the past. I was challenged to do this once by a counselor I was seeing uh, who said, literally, track your time for, for like a week. Like, track your, your free time, not your work time, but your free time. Track where it goes. And I thought it was a stupid exercise because I'm just like, well, it goes where it goes, right? The, you know, the kids need dinner and someone needs to do the dishes. And then, you know, yeah, maybe you watch some TV at the end of the day or whatever. But in actually doing it, 
Um, it's not that different really than money. Sometimes I'll, I'll be doing premarital counseling for a couple who's about to get married. And one of my questions, we go through a whole bunch of questions. We have a, a sort of a questionnaire as it relates to living together and chores and kids and all the stuff that you need to be talking about when you're about to get married. And one of the sections is about money. And one of the questions is, do you have a budget? And do you live by a budget? And the answer is often no. And, and, and people are young often when they're getting married for the first time. And uh, we've never had a budget. We have no idea what money goes where and I'll just say well track it like make sure you're looking once a week at least and where is it all going and, and keep an eye on it um, and they almost always come back and go oh wow I had no idea where my money went like I, I spent $89 last week at Tim Hortons I didn't know I was spending that much because it's just a couple bucks here and a couple bucks there and so then you start to go okay well now you can start to get a handle on where things are going and it can be the same with our time like our time if we don't keep an eye on it can just get frittered away and I spent 10 minutes here and half an hour there and whatever and again your time is your time and it is yours to spend as, as makes sense to you. But the question, as far as I'm concerned, as your pastor, is just, well, where does the Lord fit in to that time? Where is he in the midst of all of that? And how does he stack up compared to what you're spending on other things? And, and especially the kind of the extra stuff. Because, again, a lot of our time is spent on necessary stuff, taking care of the house and the family. But the time that is being spent on the things like TV and social media and hobbies and, and extra stuff, where does the time with the Lord stack up in there? And, and is it all right? Is it, is it in balance? Is it out of balance? Is, is there something that needs to shift and to adjust? Um, I'm not saying don't watch TV. I'm saying if you're watching TV every day with no time for the Lord, then that would need to adjust, I would say. Uh, where is the Lord fitting in as something of a priority in the time that you have? Jesus wraps up verse 8 saying, This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Um, the fruit in our lives is supposed to show the world that we belong to Jesus. The fruit in our lives is supposed to show people that we are different. And, and we spent a lot of time last year talking about that word holy. That word holy just means set apart. It means different than the rest. It means the, the thing that is unlike all the others. And so the Sabbath day is holy. One day a week in our lives is supposed to be different than all the other days. The other days are to be full of work and, and doing our tasks and doing what we need to do. One day is to be holy. One day is to be different. One day is a Sabbath. Uh, we as God's people are to be different. We are to be holy. We are to look different than the world around us. And so the fruit is supposed to come so that people would look at us and say, wow, those followers of Jesus are full of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. Wow, they're different. They don't look like the rest of the world. And, and this has been part of my concern, especially over the last two years, of, of how much you know the church, not our church alone, but just the church, uh, looks like the politicians, looks like the media, looks like the rest of the world in so many ways. And again, who are we imitating? What voices are we listening to? Who are we trying to be like? Because the fruit is there, and it's supposed to tell the world that we are different, that we are, are marked as different. And that should be the case, because we are the ones who have the spirit of the living God. We are the ones connected to the vine. And so we should have that. This is to my Father's glory, Jesus says. 
And you heard a story last week of George and Maria and Susan and how God is transforming them, right? How God is bringing newness and healing and more peace and more joy and more love. And, uh, and we heard the story of how God is at work in them. That is to the Father's glory. And every single one of them last week said, this is all Jesus, it's not us. Right? God gets all the glory for what is going on there. And so there is something about this happening that we are meant to be people who are transforming. That's part of the deal. That in Christ now, you are a new creation. And nobody has, is living it out to its fullness yet. And I, I don't imagine we're getting to the fullness of it until we get to heaven. But we are people who are to be transforming. And one of the reasons we're talking about inner healing and things like that is because that is part of it. That is part of how uh, we are to be transforming. We have recognized as a church, we need to be people who are dealing with their stuff. We need to be people who are pursuing this, who are pursuing uh, greater holiness, who are looking to break the sin patterns in our life, who are looking to, to see our wounds healed by Jesus and to find greater freedom. This is all to the Father's glory. Our lives themselves become worship. Not just the songs that we sing, although that is worship. Not just the the things that we give or the ways that we serve, that is also worship. Our very lives, what he is working out in us, becomes the worship that glorifies the Father. Where we show the world we belong to Jesus, and one of the ways we show the world we belong to Jesus is because of the work he is doing in us as we are transformed, as we see the fruit growing in our lives, as we stay connected to him. Come on up, worship team. We're just about ready to wrap up. So as we start off then our year of pursuing peace and and talking about the Lord is peace, Jehovah Shalom, uh, we are to connect with him. If he's the source, if he's the vine, if that's where the peace, that deep abiding shalom rich, uh, just consuming peace is coming from, then if we want to pursue peace this year, it's got to start with plugging in. It's got to start with connecting with him. And, and that's just the beginning of it. Uh, we will get more into the specifics in the weeks to come. Today was a bit of an overview to it. And, and again, I've said it a number of times, but uh, I, I don't want this just to feel like, oh, there's a duty I need to do. Or, or I'm doing it because Chris said it. We've thrown out the challenge. What's 48 minutes? That's a tithe of your free time on any given day and you know if you I know people are here who work literally like 15 hour 16 hour jobs and if that's you then adjust that you know, make, make it make sense for your time but you know to, to give the Lord a priority just as we do financially on, on our budget in our house the number one line at the very top before mortgage or insurance and anything the number one is our tithe and that's a bit of a symbolic thing but it's just our way of saying Lord that's first for us. That's our top priority is that we, our finances are yours and we're going to worship you with that first and foremost. With the time, there needs to be a a giving of that to the Lord as well. And if we want to remain in him, we need to carve out places in our life where we can cultivate that, where we can cultivate that connection point with him, not out of duty, but because we love him and we want to love him more, because we know him, but we want to know him more, because we are weary. And Jesus said, if you are weary, if you are burdened, if you are heavy laden, come to me and I will give you peace. And if he is the source of all peace, then let's make that a priority of connecting and communing with the source of all peace, making that a priority this year. So the question for today is simply this, Lord, where do you want to meet with me right now? 
And you might have things in your life that work already. You might already have some some structures and some plans. Uh, Maybe you have some structures and plans and you're going, you know what, they don't work quite the same way. I'm not feeling the connection that I used to feel. Maybe those things were just for a season and there's a whole other way that he wants to meet with you. Maybe he wants to meet with you at work or or in your car while you're driving to work. Maybe he wants you to turn off the TV for a bit and carve out some time there. Maybe he wants you to do something with your family. Maybe it's something altogether different. But the point is he's Lord, so he gets to decide where and how we're going to meet with him. So close your eyes with me just for a moment. We're going to worship in just a second. But let's just close our eyes and just be still before the Lord for a moment. And Lord, for everyone here, we just ask you that question. Where do you want to meet with me right now? Where's a step that I can take even this week to start to move towards you in these ways? Where do you want to meet with me? And as we wait here for a moment, Holy Spirit, just bring bring it to mind for us. Just speak gently or bring a thought or bring a picture to our mind. Holy Spirit, where do you want to meet with us this week? that as we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. And so bless your people this week, Lord, as we take a step towards you this week. Take a step towards us. Come meet us in your word. Come meet us with your presence. Come meet us in our prayer times. Let us feel that sense of your presence, Lord. As we seek you, Lord, you've promised we will find you. So Lord, come and meet with us this week as we take that step. In Jesus' name. Would you stand with me, please? as we respond in worship, as we get ready to head out into our week together.